You're listening to the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast, a place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development. Showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered podcast. Today, we are talking about advocating for our future. We're helping out children with special needs. You know, one in every four children is born on the autism spectrum nowadays. Um, And there's so many children that have special needs that are being ignored in our society. And parents not even knowing really where to go or how to start because the school systems aren't getting the help that they need. And today I'm bringing with you one of the best people for this topic. Her name is Catherine M. Michael, and she's a licensed attorney and practices throughout the state of Indiana, Texas, and Michigan. She is the founder of Coffee with Catherine LLC, where she provides training, education, and support for families of children with special needs. She also is the managing partner of the multi-state law firm, Colin Michael Kerr LLP, where she represents students and their families in a variety of education and personal injury matters, including special education due process, section 504 matters, expulsion, disciplinary issues, personal injury of children, including injury, sexual abuse, molestation, and rape cases, both in and out of school environments, private school issues, and discipline, as well as other civil rights and discipline disability claims experienced by students. Catherine Michael has been featured in hundreds of times in both national and local media. She is a a fluent guest on sanctioned radio and television shows. And today she's a guest on the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered. I've got her links in the show notes below. Definitely check them out if you're looking for resources. Catherine, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, I'm so excited to be on your show. I love it. We were talking about your podcast before um, today. I just love them. So I am really happy to be here. Absolutely. So what, um, what got you into doing this? My background was in healthcare law. I had, and, and when I, I got out of law school, I was going to a health law firm and I started to get cases involving children who had special needs, where we were seeing them not get services, children with cancer who weren't, the schools weren't finding them eligible for special education, uh, children who were coming in, they're in ninth, 10th, 11th grade. Their parent is still reporting to the pediatrician, they can't read. Um, the pediatrician is, is saying, well, do we have an ADHD issue? And, and I started to see all of these cases and thought, we've got some real problems. Um, it interestingly started with one of the first cases that I, I had was a child who a school refused to provide any sort of services to who had um, a brain tumor and was receiving cranial radiation. And I, I realized that the world wasn't exactly what I thought as a young attorney and that parents really needed to be very vocal. The laws are already in place to protect these children, but parents are the only enforcers of a lot of both the laws that are on the state and federal level. So if a parent doesn't uh, file a claim against the school and these mostly administrative claims to get these services, 
schools are pretty much off the hook for providing them. And I, you know, that was first my, my first shock. Um, and once I started taking these cases, I realized it was an area of law in which I could make a true and fundamental difference and um, an area that without a parent or an attorney taking action, things just weren't going to happen. You are making this so much clearer to me, the importance of being educated on these topics, especially as, and getting the proper education on these topics, because you, you work hand in hand with the, the laws and the parents and the students um, that are affected by all of the, all of these things. What are some of the biggest um, misconceptions that people have when it comes to getting their IEPs? I think the biggest misconception, and this is one that I will say 99% of parents have, is that the school is going to tell them everything they need to know and that the school is on their side. And most teachers and administrators, they are good people, but most of them don't know the law. And I can tell you that from 22 years in it. And two, they are most of the time spread pretty thin. And so it is not a situation where you're going to walk in and they're going to offer you on a shiny platter everything that your child is entitled to. And so that's the first thing that I think um, that parents don't understand. And then the second thing is that they are the sole enforcer of their child's rights. Sometimes uh, I see parents think that the Department of Education is checking in on it, that when the school tells them we can only do five minutes of speech therapy or uh, that your child only needs one academic goal, that, that someone somewhere is checking on this and that the school is doing what they should. And that's just not the case. Um, in the vast majority of situations, schools really are, and this is nationwide, are going to cut every corner they can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, they are, they're spread then, but they're going to cut every corner they can. I recently um, met a retired principal of schools in St. Louis. Um, he was telling me a story about how he used to work at a nice restaurant where the attorney generals were coming in and talking about deals and stuff. And he was saying how they were talking about um, how the schools in Kansas City and St. Louis were going to suffer. And then he actually got into those industries and he thought, oh, this is what they were talking about, making sure that 40 students were in the classroom and that when, when governments change, when things happen, these affect our children. And it's, it's deals while I was talking to him, I'm like, these are the deals that are not even made in the, in, in the boardrooms that you're not even going to see. They're made at the business tables, the, at, at, the, at the dinner tables. They're made on the golf course. And the, you don't see these, you don't, you, you, you know, and right. these deals are made, right? And um, I'm also thinking, like, while you're talking about this, I'm thinking of how I, I had an ex that he was Jamaican, he's first generation, and his I was trying to teach his little sibling colors. And he said, well, that's what the school is for. And we really do have to take responsibility for our children. And I mean, if you're listening to this, you are a person that does, but there are so many people that don't. And oh, yeah. it affects us all as a public because I mean, going forward, technology is taking over. It is. And there's not going to be a lot of menial labor jobs for people. 
So I love that you're actually making a step in the right direction to help inform parents that do care. And, and you know what, fine. It's not that all parents don't care or anything like that. I think most parents do. And most parents of low income people are, are overwhelmed. Yes. But what your coffee with Catherine helps is it's a very nominal fee to be able to educate yourself on these resources that you are, that are already out there. Yes. I mean, that's what I found is, you know, over the first 10 years of my practice, actually, I would say almost the first 15, I would send parents tons of materials. Like they would come in, we'd give them a whole bunch of pamphlets on a a whole bunch of different laws. Um, I would write them little synopsis. Here's what we're going to do when it's an educational due process. I'd give them the names of websites. Parents still really struggled with that. And, And we all do. You know, I equate it to Think of, we as kids will watch our parents drive until we're 16. The moment we're asked to get behind the wheel, we're not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why I even came up with Coffee with Catherine um, is I was inviting people to come and have coffee with me and explaining, here's how you ask for extended school year services for your child. Here's how you know what when a goal is appropriate and measurable in your child's IEP. Here is the criteria for getting your child eligible for special education. Here is what a Section 504 plan is. Here are what some of the specific learning disabilities are. Here's how to ask for an independent educational evaluation. And people want to actually hear it. I think they mm-hmm. want to be hear it, internalize it, have examples given to them. We're not, most of us aren't going to spend hours on the web just reading materials, right? Sometimes we will, you know, buy a book on a subject. It's really hard to know how to put that into practice until somebody's basically describing it to you. And I wanted to do that on something other than a case-by-case basis. I mean, we do about 20 hours of consultations every week. And a consultation, we charge our hourly rate, which is $350. So someone will come in and I will talk to them for, usually we actually give them a full hour and a half, but I will go over all of this. And we're usually starting at the beginning. And and so I started the Coffee with Catherine because I wanted a way to teach people other than them coming to see me at a conference where the conference fees are like $1,000. Um, and, or just, you know, having to come in and, and sit down at one of my coffees, I wanted to find a way to teach parents to ask the questions that they need to ask, um, to provide, you know, after years of, of talking to psychologists and behaviorists, right. To bring parents together and say, you know, here are some behavior programs you may want to try at home. Here's what the data says about using positive reinforcement for children who have autism. If you have... Um, you know, here's what you may want to consider for self-care if you're a parent of a child who has special needs, because parents of children with special needs often have the same cortisol levels as people who are overseas at war. And because they're having to deal with that in their home, most of them I found in our practice, you know, we have a pretty extensive questionnaire. They're not seeking out therapists. They're not in a lot of parenting groups. How can we give them a resource where we're talking about self-care. Um, I would say 25% of our sessions are on self-care, um, how to take care of yourself, how to raise your level of confidence, how to become more assertive, how do you negotiate sticky situations, right? Because that's the other thing. You come in with high cortisol levels, the school is saying no to something, most parents were erupting with anger and frustration. How do, how do you negotiate? 
how do we get over the feeling of wanting to be liked, right? That's the other mm. thing I see. That I, I think is the biggest thing I see is parents sure that as long as they're super nice, as long as they bring donuts or food to a meeting with their child's school, that maybe it's gonna make the situation better. Um, and it's actually trying to give them real skills versus them, again, having to spend thousands of dollars on an attorney when they really just need the skills to start asking questions, to start negotiating, to know how to ask and what to ask for. So many thoughts just came through my head. <laughs> so many, because I love that you touch on the self-care piece because it's so important because yes. a lot of these parents, you know, if you're a parent of a child with special needs, you know that you don't really have much time for yourself. You're giving so much of yourself to your child, but if you're depleting yourself, you can't really give. And so it's like, you're working on response and reaction to yeah. life. And it just makes the whole situation more stressful. And, and you want to be able to enjoy while you're fighting, while you're battling with the schools and everything, you want to be able to enjoy your relationship with your, your significant other, your child, your other children. If you have other children, your, your relationships that you have, you want to enjoy life. So I love that you touch on that. Yeah. Because I, that, that really is the component. I mean, I will say that probably 50% of the people who come into a meeting with me are usually in tears. And it's tears of frustration. It's tears of years of that bent up. I, you know, I, I want to be nice. I, I, I want to be liked. And yet I can't get these basic services for my child. And I will tell you, you know, we're, as we even look at when parents are going into summertime, Right? They start to panic if they have a child with disabilities who they can't get into camps sometimes or they can only get into short amounts of camp. They're worried about their child's regression of education skills. They don't even know what extended school year services are. So basically schools have to provide uh, services to prevent regression um, in children who have special needs. Most parents have no clue. They don't know what that looks like. That's often breezed over. Um, and so that's one thing that, that we often see. Yeah. You, and you don't know what you don't know. So learning, sure. you know, having the ability to actually go to a person like you that ha actually knows the laws that knows how to maneuver and you've 22 years of experience, you know, speaks for itself. So, and, and you know how the laws change and stuff like that too. So being, going to someone that is up to date on these types of things. It's so important and it saves you so much time too. You don't want to waste your time. And this is, this is just a, what an hour investment. Right. And, and so that's the thing we wanted it to be something where you can start just going once a week, or you could come twice a week. Um, but you could actually just start feeling like you're learning, right? And, and especially I think for parents whose children are just entering the system, let's say you have a five-year-old with Down syndrome and you're like, everything is great right now, but I wanna start learning what's out there. I wanna know how to apply for waivers. I wanna know about behavior programs. I wanna understand how, how does the Americans with Disabilities Act work? How does Section 504 work? You know, what do I need to know about when I'm talking to medical providers even? You know, what's out there? And so we wanted something where a parent can just listen. They can listen like a podcast 
or they can actively engage. We have a chat box so that they can type questions, not to their specific situation, but general questions. For instance, you know, are there things that you would want every parent of a child with Down syndrome to know? And then I would say absolutely, something is called inclusion. And that's what we often have with parents who have children with Down syndrome is that they need to be included with their general education peers. Um, and so we talk about those types of topics so that parents then start to learn those words and what to say at an IEP meeting when they're told your child, you know, now that they're in kindergarten, we're putting them in a special education room. They're not going to get to be in kindergarten with the other students. A parent will know the word inclusion or the least restrictive environment which is where the word inclusion comes from. And they can start to say, no, the law says my child needs to be included. And that's, I think, what becomes really important is that the parent then, without having to have their child moved, starts to know the terminology for what they're asking for. Terminology matters too. Exactly. It matters so much. Like, it's almost like it's a code word. <laughs> like, there are terminology. It's a code word because if you don't say the right things, you won't get what you're asking for. Yes. And some of these words are super strange, like least restrictive environment, right? We don't, when we hear those words, which it's the legal term, but parents don't think the least restrictive environment, oh, that just means my child gets to be in a regular education classroom, right? Which is where children are supposed to be educated unless they need those specialized pull-out services, like specialized reading instruction, specialized math instruction, that type of thing. I love what you're doing and how you're helping so many people and just making the world truly a better place because there's so much stigma that comes with people that are, that have special needs, you know, and I think that them being in environments that are the least restrictive environments that it will also help children that are not special needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I think we have to recognize as, as human beings, right? That we are all going to have differences and that those mm -hmm. differences need to be recognized as this is how the world is. This is how it works. And we're not going to say, because you have this difference, sorry, you can't be educated with the other children. And that is what the law already provides. But that's where, again, parents are the only enforcers of the law. And so when, when I start to see a child with, for instance, I have a case right now, a child with autism, um, who it models behavior, right? And so a child with autism, they're not going to respond well to sensory overload, loud noises. I have one school district that is moving a lot of children with autism all into an emotional disabilities room where they're placing them with children who have bipolar disorder, placing them with children who have severe ADHD. And so what starts to happen is all of these children start to model each other's behaviors. It doesn't improve it, right? It's not yeah. like all of a sudden everything's getting better. Mm -hmm. And there are ways of maintaining an education environment, whether you're doing co-teaching, you have a lot of classroom aids. If you have a child who starts acting up, let's say in a general education environment, you can move them out, right? Get them calm, then move them back in. There are ways to ensure that we have education environments where differences are actually going to be celebrated. Children are going to peer model, and we know from all the data, we tend to mimic the behaviors of those we see. Mm -hmm. And that is especially true for children with disabilities. 
um, there are very, very few children who don't have mental illness. And I'm going to distinguish like a mental illness. If a child has a schizoaffective disorder, if a child has a severe bipolar condition, if a child has depression with psychosis, um, you know, there are disabilities out there where that child does need to be in a therapeutic day placement or a residential, right? They should not be in a classroom. A child who has a lot of aggression where they may hurt their peers probably is going to need to be in a therapeutic day placement with behavior specialists. But children who have Down syndrome, autism, a child who has ADHD, um, a child who's struggling with depression, they should not be removed from the classroom because there's an issue. Absolutely. And I mean, me, I know a little bit more about autism than I do about um, bipolar. And, but I do know enough to know that children at the end of the day want to be happy. People at the end of the day want to be happy. So they will, and they will start mimicking behaviors, especially autistic children mimic behaviors. So if they are seeing a child that is severely depressed because they're having a a depressed state being bipolar, um, and they're seeing that their child is getting attention and getting affection that they they will start to put themselves in that state too. So I know exactly what you're talking about with, and and the detrimentalness of having those children in the same location. Um, And And that's a huge problem. I'm telling you, that is a huge problem in almost, you know, every state that we we look at is that schools will try and consolidate resources, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll try and push, for instance, all the children who have significant ADHD symptoms over to one school and they'll start putting them in one classroom. They'll put the child who has behavioral issues in one classroom. And then they'll start, you'll have this classroom of 20, 30 kids. You'll have a teacher who's about to lose their mind in this situation. You'll have two classroom aides and you have a situation where it gets worse, it doesn't get better. Um, and that's, I think, the problem. And, and you know, the other thing, and we talked about this a little bit that I'm seeing is that I think we thought in the 80s, right? There were all these, you know, learn to read programs and literacy programs. I was fascinated when I got into education law with how many students I saw who were illiterate in high schools. They are in high school, they've got a normal IQ, and they're illiterate. Um, That to me was really shocking. One of the biggest reasons for that is children who have dyslexia and learning disabilities that have never been qualified for special education, or they've been qualified, but they're not receiving, nor have they ever received the reading assistance they needed. They've just been passed from grade to grade to grade. And this is, is, you know, it's problematic at all ends of the spectrum, you know, socioeconomically. Um, But it has the most profound effect, as you can imagine, on families who can't afford attorneys, who can't afford tutoring. I mean, I see kids in in areas where I, I believe they're being encouraged to drop out. They're being expelled from school. And that to me was one of the most shocking things I discovered because I don't think that that's something that most of us realize or expect is still happening and it's happening. Um, And, you know, if a child can't read, they're not going to be able to get employed. Right. So, so the rest of us are going to be supporting them throughout their life. And if they end up in jail because the only occupation that they can find is a criminal one, then we're going to be supporting them to the tune of 60 to $80,000 a year for decades. And so I think that's to me what is the most angering 
is the fact that some of these reading programs are really affordable for us to put into schools and the fact that we don't seem to care to actually do so. Um, and that has been really frustrating. And I think if the general population, and I think especially um, if our state representatives and our, um, if the Senate and Congress um, really understood some of the things that education attorneys see on the ground, um, they would be shocked and profoundly saddened at the state of education in our country. Why do you believe that there's such a disconnect between those in our government and attorneys and the people that are um, that have special needs and their and their parents and their their advocates. I think because they don't have much of a voice. Um, I, the way that the laws were written, it has the parent as the sole enforcer. So if a parent doesn't know even that they have a voice with their school system, they're not going to file any action that's necessarily going to get noticed. Um, at the state level, right? They're not gonna file an administrative educational due process. They're not gonna file state complaints. They're simply going to drop out or a school's gonna graduate them through a waiver system or an alternative uh, track graduation um, or a certificate. They're gonna find some other way to, to do that. I think the second thing is there aren't that many education attorneys nationwide. Um, it is a job where if you can imagine most of the parents um, who really have these needs don't necessarily have the funds to pursue it. And so most education attorneys, I mean, we're civil rights attorneys, so we're going to take a lot of these cases on sliding scales because parents can get their attorney's fees back. But for instance, in Indiana, there's less than a handful of us that do this full time. In Texas, there's not many. You think about the population of Houston and Dallas, right, and Austin. There are very, very few attorneys who do this. So most of these families are truly voiceless. And I think who does get heard are the schools. And the schools often have, you know, they're not necessarily going and lobbying for, I mean, we hear them sometimes say we need more money, we're overwhelmed, but they also spend a lot of time saying that the parents are, attacking us. We're having to deal with so many crazy parents. The, you know, the parents aren't doing what they should. And most of the time it's because parents don't know what they should do. They don't know what to ask for. And when they do, like in Texas, um, which got fined $277 million by the federal government, when parents were asking, they weren't being provided the services. Um, and they were being denied services by the state left and right in, in the numbers of hundreds of thousands of students. Um, to this day, like decoding dyslexia down in Texas, you know, is estimating thousands upon thousands of students who are illiterate in Texas as a result of their failures. Um, so I think it's known. I mean, it's we see it on the news down there all the time. The problem is just that it's not getting, I think, the voice that it should. And my hope is that as parents become more vocal, as they start to learn the terminology, as, as they start to learn that they are the sole enforcers of these rights, maybe it will be talked about more. Maybe we're really gonna to start to take another look at literacy um, in America beyond just telling the schools, you know, do what you may. I also think that uh, technology is making it easier to not know how to read. Uh, yes. Oh, without a doubt. Without, I mean, think about it, right? People, I mean, Facebook, I'm going to give you an example, right? Facebook, we have a picture and we have writing, right? Facebook has been sort of lost in some respects, although I think, you know, our generation still likes it, but 
has been lost to Instagram, mm -hmm. right? Where every, you look at a picture, you look at a few words, right? And then we have TikTok, which is mostly all just videos. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I'm finding, it's just interesting. And that's why we talked about why I decided, okay, we can have materials. We actually just want to hear it. Um, and, and it's really changing. I think, you know, we always had, you know, once television took off, right, we switched, a lot of us switched from reading books to watching television. I think technology is causing us some real problems when it comes to education, real problems. Yeah. I mean, even when you're like texting in your phone now, and when you're typing in Facebook, it will grammatically correct you. So yes. you do not have to actually, it'll change your spelling. So it's correct. It makes it so easy. So we're losing that part in our brain. Even people that are not special needs, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yes, I debate now all the time that I'm spelling something and I'm, I'm, you know, handwriting it. I'm like, is that how you spell it? I've gotten so used to all the corrections. I feel like I can't spell anymore. And sometimes now I will look at a word and be like, is that how it's spelled? Because I don't have it on the computer where it fixes it for me. Same that. And I'll like, I'll take what I'm writing and then I'll go back and I'll like check it and make sure it's right. And like, this is, and I've gotten, I've, I'm just trying to got, get better. Cause I've not always, I've been crappy at reading. I was, and I mean, now I read all the time. Yeah. I don't watch TV, but that's something that I've had to learn over the years as well as spelling. Like I'm still yeah. not the best speller, but I still like for, I, I will slow down and take my time. And I've real, and that's why I also started to realize, okay, this is correcting all of this for me. And now when I have to go to write, but I started doing more, more writing, more journaling and, yeah. but, and I mean, I, I'm not special needs, you know, but it's like, you do have to retrain your brain. And that's, I think the thing that we have to remember with kids is it, it is brain training, right? Reading is brain training, mm -hmm. math, or even a child who has special needs, who's learning to recognize coins. It is brain training. It is, you know, what we call rote memorization. And we need to remember that and have educational plans that are in place because outside of that classroom, I mean, that's the problem that I think we're going to see. Kids are on their phone. They're not necessarily going to be reading at home. So we have a situation moving forward in life um, and moving forward in education in America where we're going to have to do things differently because, you know, even when we talk about Darwinism, it was never survival of the fittest. That is a mm -hmm. misnomer. It's survival of the most adaptable. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem is we're not adapting. Um, and I can tell you for sure, somebody on the front lines of education who's seeing hundreds of cases in multiple states, we're not adapting. Um, something has changed in the last 20 years where I'm seeing more illiteracy rates now than I was in 2001, 2002. Um, so that is what I'm saying is a, is a real cause for concern because as we, you know, when we were talking uh, before, there aren't a lot of menial labor jobs out there now. So what, what are we going to have kids who are not able to read doing? Um, because as a society, we're going to have to support them in one way or another. What can we do now to really mitigate this and start making changes? Oh my goodness, Catherine, I could talk to you all day. I just feel so, so much smarter just by having this conversation because granted, I don't have any children, um, but I do know children do. I do know parents of children with special needs and I, I do, I now more so understand 
the battles and struggles that they have to face as being the advocates of their children on such a different level where it's like they really don't know what they don't know and they have to do this research. And so I'm so happy that you're a great resource for this. And I will be sharing you this podcast and just, you know, I have so many people to connect you with after this. So thank you so much for being here. I really, really, really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. I love being on this. And yeah, that said too, I could talk to you for hours. We'll talk after too. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.